Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick and Casey. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on SpoilerVerse.com. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at SpoilerCountry at gmail.com. Of the Republic of Spoilerverse. Welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Regan. That's Johnny Horsley. And today on the show, well, it's Greg Rucka, part duh. Part duh. Yeah. You know, I think it's funny. Most of the time we have two parts, you always say part duh. And then I always respond with saying it again. And then now I'm explaining it, which is making You know what funny. that's from? You know where, do you know why I say that? Why do you say that? Hot shots part deux. I was that's what I thought. Hot shots part deux. Yeah, I mean, is, I just which can't. It's a great it. movie. Oh, it's so bad. It's isn't that? I think Samuel Jackson's in it even. Yeah. Well, like when he gets kicked in the nuts and the walnuts pop out of his mouth, it's. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's so over the top and just moronic comedy. They don't really make those anymore. Not not really. When was the I last mean, time? They, I mean, because it's that's a whole that's like. Not to get off on a tangent before we get into Greg Rucka's part two, where yeah. we get to learn all about DC and all his stuff on Wonder Woman and all the fun stuff that he's done. I want to say that's in part two. I feel like it, an idiot right now. It, it, it is in part two. You're right. You're right. Yay! Got it. Yay! Nailed I totally it. got it. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> but I digress to go back to my tangent. Yeah. They're not making a lot of those movies like Naked Gun, Naked right. Gun Two and a Half, you know. Uh, I don't know. They're. Do you ever see the one with uh, Val Kilmer? Oh, uh, Top Secret. Yeah, Top Secret. I love that movie. They don't make those anymore. What's it's going not, on? Not like that. I mean, they, they. I don't know. They started making them like they was. There was someone coming out in their early aughts and the early teens. You know, like uh, not another teen movie, Meet the Spartan and stuff like that. Epic movie, but they become like. They become so tropish that like like you watch Top Secret or Hot Shots and yeah they're a parody movie but they're also yeah. its own movie right but you watch yeah. like epic movie and it's just it's just a parody movie. Or, I knew or, kids growing up that only watched those movies. Yeah, yeah. They didn't want to watch other. They didn't want to watch James Bond. They didn't. You know they like Ghostbusters and Back to the Future because it was hard not to. But at the same time, you know, given their druthers, they wanted to watch Top Secret or yeah. Meatballs or. Any of that type of stuff. Well, I think the you difference know? is like movies like Top Secret and Hot Shots and and those kind of ones is they're parodies in so much that they're they're making fun of tropes, but they're not like taking direct. I mean, they are in some way, but they're not. It's not built upon. Like if you watch like uh, Meet well, the it's Spartans, not out of disrespect. Well, no. If if you watch like epic movie, disaster movie, Meet the Spartans, those movies, they're built around taking scenes from a movie and redoing yeah. it and putting it and making a joke out of that scene. Right. Whereas Top oh, Secret is I a story in itself that's making fun of the tropes of those kinds of movies. Yeah. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah, it's 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 kind of crazy when you think back and you look at it. Did you you know what? We have a whole other thing to go over and we'll talk about I want to talk about Charlie Sheen and the movies that he's done. Yes. Cause he's done some really fun movies. 
Yeah. That's a whole episode by itself. (laughs) Yeah. So we don't want to get into that. But tell us what we're going to hear in part two with Greg Rucka. Oh, well, we jump into it with uh, Casey asking about Gotham Central and him working with Ed Brubaker. And we talk talk about his new 52 run with uh, with Wonder Woman and a bunch bunch of other stuff of his, you know, indie work and his DC work and stuff like that. Yeah. Ed Brubaker is an amazing writer. Yeah. Oh, he is. He is. Um, man, he did a book series. Uh, I think it's called criminal. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my God. So good. Well, Greg so Rucka good. says you're here in a few minutes that working with Ed Brubaker was one of the best collaborations he's ever done in comics. There you go. Well, why don't we sit back and listen to Greg in his own words. So, if if you don't mind, I, I want to change gears a little bit. Do you mind talking about Gotham Central? I don't mind talking about Gotham Central. I'll Man, Gotham Central. Love the hell out of that book. How was your? How was working with Ed Brubaker on it? Because you, okay, you guys kind of co-wrote it, right? Yeah, that was the best best collaboration I've ever had in comics. Really? Uh, oh yeah, Ed and I. Because what would happen? See, we both knew what we wanted to do from the moment, literally from the moment we met each other. Uh, in person, we both knew we'd wanted to do this cop book, and we both had a very similar vision for it, and we both had an idea how to go about it, and it was Ed who knew Michael, you know, so it was Ed who brought Larkin. And we, I think one of the smartest things we did is very early on, we divided up shifts, so we said, you'll get to do your thing, and I'll get to do my thing, and then every so often we'll come together and do our thing. And that way, it, it really was our book, right? You know, Ed could do the stories that really mattered to him. I could do the stories that really mattered to me. And then we could come together and have a lot of fun with the Joker and the Sniper Rave. <clears throat> but the collaboration with him was terrific because we would get on the phone and we would break down the issue, literally beat by beat by beat. And we, then we'd divvy up the scenes. And at the end of it, he'd have 11 pages and I'd have 11 pages and we'd go off and we'd write our scenes and then we'd send them to each other and we'd glue it all together and go over it and make any changes we felt were necessary. And it was terrific. It was seamless and it was fun. You know, Ed and I could break this gabbing, you know, I have rarely had a collaboration in comics and read it canceled due to numbers. Hey, I just want to cut it real quick to let you know that the audio on the recording here with Greg kind of cut out. And uh, what he was saying about Gotham Central there was that he had a really good collaboration and it was canceled due to numbers, I think is what I got out of it. But it was really choppy, so I cut it out. And we're just going to jump back into Casey and Greg talking about New 52. That wasn't DC's doing. DC would have kept that. Are you happy with, with how you were able to end it? Yeah. I mean, it was the ending that I always knew I was going to write there. And I think fortunately 52 came along at, you know, after, I I, I can't remember, this is a while ago, I can't remember if I was still writing, if I was still writing Central or if I had finished Central before the idea for 52 came along. But when the idea for 52 came along, it was very much the logical extension of Renee's story and what we wanted to do in 52. It fit right in there. So, you know, I mean, 
it was always going to be a sort of dark, crushing, soul-crushing, you know, depressing <laughs> ending because because there's a reason there aren't a lot of good cops in Gotham. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and that's the way it's got to be because if there are a lot of good cops in Gotham, you don't need Batman. You just made me think of the wire a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> is it hard? Are you one of those creators that once you're done with a project, like let, ostensibly this is a, a tentpole project for DC is huge. Are you able to read those books after you're done with them? Is, is it something that you want to check in on afterwards? Or are you just like, oh, well, 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 I mean, are you are you are you asking? Can I go back and read Gotham Central, or is it, or or are you asking? Am I reading Wonder Woman right now? Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like the current iterations of the books that you, that you were on. Yeah, no, I almost never can, and that's again probably a gross flaw in my personality. Things that you have to do, in particular, when you're writing for big two comics, right, is these characters are not yours. And 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 woe be to you if you try to convince yourself or anybody else that they are, because they're owned by a giant corporate entity, and that property is worth billions of dollars, and you are not. They can find a dozen more just like you. So... One of the things that when they, you know, so that means that when they hire me, what they're hiring me for is one custodianship of the character for the period that I am writing, right? It is, here you go, here is this precious thing that we have, invest it with greater value. That's the job, right? Don't screw it up. Don't break it, right? Don't bend it. Make it cool, treat it with respect, show other people why it's so awesome. Okay. I have a way of doing that, and presumably they trust my way to do it because they're willing to pay me to do it. When my time is done, they are passing it on to another writer under the same premise. And I almost universally will look at another writer's approach and go, eh, that's not how I would do it. And the second I think that, <laughs> I'm like, okay, I need to back off because the point is I'm not doing it, right? I'm not doing it anymore. I walked away from it. I, I can disagree with the choices they make, but I have abdicated my right to, you know, make us think about it. If it mattered to me so much that it not be done, I shouldn't have walked away. Okay, all well and true. Harder to accept emotionally. And for me personally, I am emotionally invested in the work I do. I have to be. If, if I don't, then, then, it's, then it's not good work, right? I have, to, I have to care. If I don't care, it shows. But that means that... When I am, for whatever reason, walking away from whatever whatever the title was, I am leaving myself emotionally raw. And this is one of the reasons why, incidentally, I don't read the interviews of whoever is going to come next. 
because the last thing you want to read is an interview where a writer, you know, the writer who follows says, oh, I didn't read that person's work or doesn't mention you at all or yeah. whatever, you know, I mean, because then you, so it's, it's, it's an odd thing. There's a moth just flew into my office and I'm wondering how it got in here. Hang on. I'm in my basement and it's a cute little moth and I'm wondering what it thinks it's going to get something to eat. <laughs> <laughs> there are only books in here. You're going to be disappointed. There we go. So, yeah, it's very difficult. And like I say, like, you know, I'm 50 now, and I've been doing this for a long time, and I have very set opinions about certain characters. I've become very much, hey, you kids, get off my lawn. In regards to certain things, in particular about Batman. I feel very strongly about how things work in Gotham and should work in Gotham and what that mythology should look like and why it works, you know, and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I think. I'm not writing the book, <laughs> but it seems like the, the writers that have the best grip on that character in particular are, are writers who come at it from a crime writing background because yeah. they, they actually, yeah, I mean, it, it it started out in, in detective comics for a reason. I mean, he, he's yeah. a detective first and foremost. Absolutely. Um, so when you switch gears on something like Lazarus, mm-hmm. which is not at all like a, a really a crime book, how what, was that a an excuse for you to, to stretch your legs? Was it hard for you to kind of get to, to make that transition? Was, was it... You know, what what was your deciding factor in to going into that? Was it just a cool sci-fi idea you had that you wanted to explore? No, I mean, you know, I had left DC and I had this idea for this book that was going to be, I, I had gone to San Diego in 2009. It was like the, the last time I think I had gone to the con for a really long time. And I was going because I was kind of obligated to go, right? But I had left D.C., so I was like, well, this is going to be really weird. And I was walking around. I was meeting an editor friend of mine, and I was walking on my way over to see him, and I had this idea. I was like, you know, I want to do a thing about cop. I want to do a cop thing. And I had this idea about this cop who was actually this witch, Right. But instead of it being a focus on the police procedural, I wanted to really take a look at what witchcraft would be. And by the time I got home, I had this idea in my head and I'm sitting in my backyard in Portland and I'm doing all this research and I'm writing notes. And I know I'm going to call black magic. And I write the first script really quickly and I send it to Michael Lark and I say, well, you want to draw this? And he says, yeah. And I go, great. And we then spend the next 18 months trying to get a publisher, get, get things sorted with the publisher we were talking to at that time to make the book happen. Now, in the interim of this, right, I have written another novel. I'm going to go on a tour. And this is 2009, now into 2010. And you may remember in, in 2008, there was this little thing that happened. Yeah, where the whole economy <laughs> fucking went tits up. And I had been 
in New York in the fall of 09. I was talking to a friend who worked sort of adjacent to Wall Street. And he and I had gotten together and we were having a chat. And he was telling me, he's like, people don't realize how bad it was. Like how close it was to it all ending. And I was like, what do you mean? And and he was saying, he's like, I knew investment bankers who were like stocking up on pork and beans and buying shotguns. He's like, it was really bad. Like they don't understand that the Obama administration pretty much saved the global economy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of went home going, oh, damn. And I was thinking about that, and I had this weird thought. I was like, well, you know, the end of the world is going to be, it, it isn't, you know, it, it isn't going to be plague. It's not going to be nuclear war, and it's not going to be climate change. All of those can be a part of it, Right. Thank you. That was my wife walking in and now walking away. All those things to be a part of it, but but the end of the world is going to be economic. The apocalypse is going to be economic. And so I had that idea in my head. And then I had this other idea. And I don't remember. I was doing some yard work. I guess a lot of this stuff comes back to my backyard some way. Uh, I was doing some yard work, and I remember having this image in my head of this woman and I knew it was a woman and I had the narration and, and, and I wrote the lines down. Uh, it was like, you know, bullet number one, you know, enters at the third intercostal, you know, or enters the intercostal space and exits between the fourth and fifth vertebrae, you know, and collapses the lock, you know, and then the second bullet does this and the third bullet does this. At which point I got up again, you know, and I was like, okay, who the hell is this talking to me? And that idea collided with the economic idea and was the start of Lazarus. So I didn't know it was Lazarus yet. I just had this idea and I didn't know what it was trying to tell me. And I was in Dallas, Texas on this book tour. And I went out to dinner. It was summer. And I went out to dinner with my literary agent who lives in Dallas and with Michael who lives in Dallas. And we're having dinner. And I say to Michael, so I have this idea for this, this, this scene, this book. And I described to him what was the opening sequence of Lazarus issue one. And he leaned across the table, his eyes wide. He says, I want to draw that. That's what I want to write. You know, that's the book. So I was like, all right. So the long and the short of it is that's how Michael got Lazarus and Nicola ended up on Black Magic. Because Nicola knew about Black Magic and was interested, but she was exclusive to DC. So she couldn't work on it. And then by the time we got through all this, enough time had passed that Nicola was free to work on Black Magic. So... And I think it worked out. Oh yeah, swimmingly for everybody involved. It is. Oh my god, it is absolutely the right matches. Absolutely, absolutely. Those things where it's like, well, I'm glad Michael saw that before I did, (laughs) because he was right. Is there any more possibility of it uh, being developed for Amazon? Oh yeah, yeah, and it's it's uh, still in development. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. It shouldn't. 
all goes well, we'll, we'll, we'll maybe be able to, to say something in the next couple of months. But it, well, is, uh, it is moving forward. That, dude, I can't wait to see that because it – yeah, it's just fantastic. Speaking of – you have you have something else on another guard. The old garden movie will be out this summer on Netflix, starring Charlize. Crushing it. Nice. But that isn't because that's because they're artists and they want it to be perfect. Uh, oh, yes. Or, yeah. or as close to perfect as they can get it. But, you know, I've seen the final, this, this locked cut. They release it tomorrow. It's a good movie. There's no question. That's awesome. Yeah. How, so. how did you feel like you were going crazy when they said that Charlize Theron was going to be in something that you, I mean, you, You've this isn't the the first production you've had. You've had some really really amazing well, it's actors. Been, it's been weird though, right? I mean, like <laughs> Whiteout Whiteout happened sort of arbitrarily. It was like you know Whiteout had been optioned and optioned and optioned and in development for years. Yeah, well, and then all of a sudden they made a movie, and there you go. And it was like, okay, Kate Beckinsale, that'll work. Tom Skerritt, cool, you know. Yeah. With the old guard, I wrote the screenplay. And the screenplay I wrote brought the director on board, and then she and I did some more work. And they kept trying, they had a murderously difficult time finding, uh, casting the part. And I think they had trouble casting the part because Andy is not an easy character to play. And a lot of actresses are very concerned about their image. And they looked at Andy in the script, and they were like, she's a bitch. And I don't want people to think I'm a bitch. And my response to that is, yes, she is. She is, she is the world's crankiest grandmother. Right? She is a 7,000-year-old grandma who cannot program a VCR, but knows every way possible to kill you. Right? That's the character. She is crankiness embodied, Right? There is a reason she is bitter, and there's a reason she is hurt, and there's a reason she's hiding from that. And the fact of the matter is, she's also really funny, or at least I thought she was. Um, <laughs> and we got close on a couple of actresses, and then Charlize came along, and when I was told Charlize was interested, I was like, well, that's perfect, because she is one of the bravest actresses I have ever seen. And she can play a badass. Like, oh, she well, like nobody's oh business. But but more than that, people forget she's an she's an Academy Award winner. Yeah, you know she knows what this she's is. Doing. This is a woman who has taken on very difficult roles over and over again, roles that I think most other actresses would have passed on. So, and you know, my God, she's you know, I was on set for. 
four or five weeks, she's a workhorse. I mean, the, the, she is just relentless. Um, you will be hard-pressed to find somebody as professional and as committed and, I mean, as all in uh, on what she is doing. And to an extent, she doesn't. She, she, she's not going to waste time. You know, she is there doing the job, and it is it is something to behold. So, so, you know, and then Kiki, you know, I'd seen her in Appeal Street talk, and she's phenomenal, and she's going to be enormous when people realize who she is. She's spectacular. And then, you know, we've got Matthias Schoenartz is playing Booker. Luca, Luca Martinelli is playing Nikki and Marlon Kazari is playing Joe. And the chemistry between them is unbelievably good. Like the director is a woman named Gina Prince-Bythewood and the care she put into casting and putting everybody together shows on the screen. Like the, there are sequences in the movie where you kind of are like, I just would watch this for another hour. Just them sitting around giving each other shit. I would happily watch that for an hour. I mean, the shooting is fun, but, you know, the part where they're hanging out and just getting any, you know, stepping on each other's toes is a delight. So, you know, I'm, I'm so tickled. And, dude, I mean, they're making a movie. And, and, and as I said, knowing what I know now about making a movie, the mere fact that they make these things is something of a miracle. So, oh yeah, you know that they get done is stunning. By the wood, the the director of this film is I've I've seen a few of her films before, mm-hmm. like Love and Basketball and yeah, Secret and Life of Bees. Fantastic. You don't yeah. you don't look at her and then go, oh, she's going to make an action movie. And trust me, it's like exactly you, you are you, you're going to get your socks blown off. I um, can't wait. Yeah, and especially and the other thing. The other thing to remember is that when when they make movies like this, right, you also have your second unit, and your second unit is primarily doing the fights, and the second unit on this was astonishingly good as well. So between Gina and Gina's direction and just everything the second unit did, it comes out, I, it looks, it's good. It's good. And there are a couple of sequences in it. The fights are just terrific. I mean, I... Here. So, do you, do you mind if we talk about the Stump Down, excuse me, Stump Town TV show a little bit? I don't, I'm just I, don't, I don't mind. How much involvement do you have in that? Very little. So, I mean, Stump Town happened really quick. Like, you know, we, we talked about something like the old guard. From start to finish, the old guard has taken about three years to get from Skydance acquiring it to them liking the screenplay enough to getting a director to casting Charlize and everybody else to shooting the movie to it coming out, right? It's been about two and a half, three years. Stumptown took seven months. I've never had anything move that quickly in my life in, in Hollywood. I, was, I had literally taken my son out to New York to go to college Right. He was starting his freshman year. I had gone back to the city. I got a call from my agent saying that the the, the specific company was coming back again, asking about Stumptown. And they really wanted to know what they needed to do to make the deal. And I told her, look, we passed on the deal because it wasn't a good deal. And 
she said, yeah, but they want to know what they can do to make it right. <laughs> you they, always hear people they really saying something's it. in development hell. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And so I said, look, I mean, it's ABC, and the upfront money is not good. And if they're going to make a TV show out of it, Justin Greenwood and, and Matt Southworth need to have a piece of it. They have to have a piece of it. They are part of it. And I cannot go to them with this pittance that they're offering and say, this is it. They're going to make a show. They have to get a check and they have to get a regular check. And she said, all right, I'll tell them. And literally the next day, got a call saying, okay, they agree in EP credits and so on and points and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, all right, fine. You know, it sounds good to me. I'll believe it when it happens. Three weeks later, I'm, you know, sitting where I am right now in my office on Skype talking to Jason Richmond and Dave Bernad and, you know, and, and they're talking about how they want to approach the pilot and what do I think about this and that? And I'm like, guys, go do, go with God. These are the things I think that are important in it. These are the things I think you should know that didn't show up on the page go and like two three months later i've got a pilot script that i read and i'm like this is actually really good and i've read <laughs> a lot of pilots in my stuff where i've been like this is not i'm like this is good and january i am in santa monica in a writer's room on a project and all of a sudden my phone blows up and it's bendis and fraction because they both must have like Google alerts on deadline and so on. And they're like, dude, they've ordered it. They've ordered a pilot. They're going to shoot a pilot of Stumptown. And that's the end of January. In March, they're in Vancouver and Portland shooting it. In May, they're at the upfronts. And the next thing we know, they've done 18 episodes. Boom. So, you know, in the first half of the season, I was being pretty diligent about watching every cut that they sent me. And giving them notes, but at a certain point, I was kind of like, you know what? This is now th th this 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 plane is very clearly flying, and doesn't need me, because at this point, anything that I do is is gonna potentially uh, create turbulence, right? It's it's fine. Disrupt the balance. Exactly. Of they they've got it. You know, one of the things that I think is so crucial is that. When you write a comic, especially something like Stumptown as a comic, that's a comic is about decks, right? And we have done four stories, really, about decks, and that's it. And in that time, you've gotten to know a fair amount about decks and something about Ansel and really nothing about anybody else, like, what could you tell me about Gray other than he's got a thing for Dex if you read the comics, right? That's it. You cannot make a TV show off of that. So you have to be able to get somebody like a Jake Johnson and say to him, this character is now yours. And, you know, and I met him at San Diego this last year, shortly after he'd come on, and, and he and I sat down, and he was like, tell me, you know, what should I know? And I literally looked at him and I said, make him yours. You got to make him yours. Like the, if you work off of what's in the comic, you are going to be frustrated and disappointed, man. Make him yours, and that is what they did. That's what Cameron's done. You know, Tukey doesn't exist in the comics. Adrian Martinez is fantastic. 
You know, what he's done with that character is great. Tantu Cardinal has taken a character that appeared in the first arc on maybe eight pages total and made Sulin awesome. That's awesome. Uh, and yeah, what was it? So it wasn't really hard for you to let go of. Uh, you, you just say you you have this. I uh, understand that you can do this, and then you just let them. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, this is going to sound maybe a little trite, Casey. You know, I, I, this is the example I use, right? When, when Peter Jackson did the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and you would hear people say, "Well, they're not the books." And I'd always want to slap people who said that because, of course, they're not. They're movies. They're entirely different things. And they have very different demands. You know? And I say this as the guy who did the, you know, wrote the screenplay for The Old Guard, right? I wrote the comic. And as true as I might want the movie to be to the comic, it has to be different. It has to answer to different things and different needs. And. At the end of the day, Stumptown is built around a character named Dex Perios. Did they get Dex right is the question. And that's really the only question. And the answer to me has been yes. They, you know, Kobe is Dex. Kobe has inhabited that character and absolutely, I will never be able to write Dex in a comic and not hear Kobe saying the lines, right? And from there, then all things can come you, you when, when you when you take something that is essentially a private eye series you are buying the detective you're buying that character and the mystery you're not buying the mysteries you're buying the character and you're buying the supporting cast and they got that now when we talk about something like lazarus right if i was less invested in Lazarus being done, quote-unquote, correctly, it would be on the air by now. I don't want it done badly. And with regard to Lazarus, I am much more involved as a result. Do you think that's because, whereas Stumptown's more kind of a, a real life, I mean, she, she's she's a... A lady Raymond Chandler. She exists in the world as we know it today. Stumptown is a real yeah. place. Lazarus is a you know you know takes place in a completely different circumstance and a completely different world of not you know yeah it, it, and and no because you're you're precisely right right because here's the thing if you ask me how does Stumptown end I would say I don't know <laughs> doesn't need to have an ending. Right. Yeah, yeah. You could ostensibly write, you know, you could you and, and that for 20 years. Exactly. There could be 200 issues. There could be 10 seasons. Right. Lazarus has an ending. I know where it's going. And if you want to make that show and make it Lazarus, then you need access to the things that only I know. You don't necessarily have to follow them, but you have to acknowledge them in a different way. And you and don't want a Games of Thrones. Well, look, let's look at that. 
last season. Right? They had to go off his map at that point. Yeah. They didn't do anything without his permission. They didn't do anything without his input. Right? So the disappointment that people may feel as to how that story resolved, you know, I'm not saying it's invalid, but I am saying one wonders if the reactions would be the same if, in fact, the series had finished, if the last books had come out, and and what you were seeing on screen were the adaptations of those books. Right? Yeah. And I don't, I don't envy them having to do that. I, I, I think that was very challenging. And I, you know, and I say this as somebody who did not watch the series. And I did not watch the series because very early on in Lazarus, people were comparing it to Game of Thrones. So I was like, well, I can never now watch Game of Thrones until I am done with Lazarus. Oh, I've um, never heard those comparisons, but okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I could see um, why you would avoid that. Yeah. So, but I, I, endings are always hard and in something fractious, you know, where you are dealing with multiple characters and you're looking at multiple possible resolutions and everybody's got a horse in the race, you are going to disappoint people. That said, you know, uh, I, I think Lazarus is a slightly is a different case because I don't know Martin and I, I don't know how I don't know his process, but I suspect a lot of stuff is still in flux for him. And there is very little in Lazarus that is in flux for me at this point. If I had to write the ending tomorrow, I could do it. I hopefully won't need to do that for several years, but I could if I needed to. So. Yeah, make that what you like. <laughs> so, what well, what's what's coming up next on the horizon for you? Because I I, I know you stay busy, man. Yeah. <laughs> you're not just doing the creator own stuff. You're you're doing Lois Lane. You're you're doing all kinds of other comics. You you have multiple film and or TV projects going. What what, what else what else are you doing? What what are you looking well, forward to putting out? We've got, well, look, I mean, Lazarus is still being, you know, we're still quarterly. Michael is drawing issue five now of, of Risen. Black Magic, in theory, is back in June. Old Guard, the second Old Guard series will be ending around then. We, we pushed the release of issue five of, of Force Multiplied because it actually kind of became a double-sized issue. So I was like, well, all right, we might need more time. So there's going to be a third old guard story because once we committed to doing a second, I knew that there would have to be a third that would be the last one. I just finished my last script for Lois. I've got a project that I'm starting this week and that I don't want to talk about yet. That's I've got two other projects in various stages of development, hopefully... One of them, well, of the three things that are now sort of coming up in comics, I'm hoping two of them will be out by the end of the year. But we will see. So right now, honestly, at this moment, 
I've got a movie I want to write because it's been burning the back of my brain for a really long time. So I'm going to try to find time to do that. And oddly enough, I've actually been flirting with writing a new novel. So, so, so I, I was going to ask you this earlier and, and we kind of switched lanes a little bit and I didn't want to take you back there. You were talking about the process of the, uh, the anticipation you have going into a new novel, knowing that it's going to be a heavy thing on you yeah. and it's going to take a toll on you. How do you know when it's time to actually just bite the bullet and get it done? For me, it's a feeling, you know, it's just the, the story needs to be told and this is the way I need to tell it. And, and that's how it happens. I mean, that's, that's really what happens. I, 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 I wish I could say that it, it's clearer than that, but it isn't. It's just, you know, I've got, I've had two ideas for, for novels bouncing around my head for a while now. And one of them, I, I, I am getting to the place where I want to write it. And that is the most important part of starting it, <laughs> you know, is that I, I need to do this to myself. I can't do it because somebody else said do it. <laughs> you know, this is like, <laughs> no, this is my own damn fault. So that's it. That's how you get there. So what, what do you do to unwind? Because, okay, so um, this These is things? a dumb idiot question. Yeah. But I, I was <laughs> I was talking to, to Peter David and he was talking about watching a film and because he knows how well third act structure works and everything, he guessed the, the end of the movie by the time the first act of the film had already, you know, before it was even over with, with that, it, is it hard to turn off that writer brain for you? Are you able to enjoy stuff? Yeah. I just am really, really picky, but there's, there's a lot I can enjoy. I, I, I know I know a lot of, I mean there's a there's a type of person who takes delight in going oh I got there first I figured it out I don't actually think that's a big thing to be proud of and I actually don't think it's a big and I don't actually think it's because you understand third act structure or anything like that I gotta tell you I actually think that's bullshit Casey I think <laughs> no I'll tell you why stories have to do certain things all right and the more stories you see, the more you intuit that. You may not be able to articulate it, right? But one of the things that happens when you see something you don't like is you respond to it. You don't, it isn't because you think the performance is bad, right? How often do you go, I didn't like it, it didn't work, right? Yeah. Not, I didn't like it, the effects were bad. Right. It's it didn't work and I didn't like the effects and the cuss. But the first thing, right, because you will overlook all of those other things if the story worked. Right. So a story. And this is why I don't like gotcha writing. Right. If you get where I'm going ahead of me, that doesn't mean I failed. It means that you are reading the tracks correctly. Yeah. Right, a story has to go certain places. The best stories will get you to that place, 
and have surprised you when you get there. You will you will sit back and go, oh, I didn't see that coming. And of course, that's how it had to be. Right. Those are the best when you go, oh, it couldn't end any other way. But sometimes the way it ends is the way you see it. And what pisses you off is then when it fails to deliver on that. Yeah. Okay. And 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 think about how many, you know, think about the stories you don't like. You know, I'll give you that. Did you like Rise of Skywalker? I, you know, honestly, I haven't seen it. Okay. And, and I feel like a bad no. Star Wars fan for no. not seeing it. No, you've actually probably done something very smart. It's a horrible movie. <laughs> it's just a bad movie. Okay. And one of the reasons it's a bad movie is that the story is disingenuous. It is all over the place. It doesn't know what it's doing. And it is trying to be all things to all people. And as a result, it is nothing to anybody. All right. Now, that's not simply a screenplay issue, right? That's an issue of, uh, you know, how many cooks and all the choices that went into making it. Right. But look, man, you're never going to convince me it's a good movie. It's not. It's a bad movie. Structurally, it is horribly flawed. And my kids know that. And my kids aren't professional writers. You know, how old How old are your kids? I have a five and a nine-year-old. All right. And I will guarantee you, your nine-year-old's been watching TV. You take the nine-year-old to the movies. Your nine-year-old has a very sophisticated narrative sense already. You know, you watch something with your nine-year-old, take the cues off of them. The more they watch, the more they understand a story. And they're still at that age where they haven't seen every trick. They can still be surprised, right? And they can still experience wonder in it. But the older they get, especially living in the world we live in today, they're inundated with stories. They figure out the way they move. They know the way they move. So <clears throat> having said all that, <clears throat> I can enjoy quite a lot it depends on how i go about it right there are things <clears throat> that i'll watch and i will watch them with a critical eye that is not for enjoyment right i'm watching old columbos right now with jen that's one of the things we do before we go to bed and nice. i'm talking the old columbos first season second season right oh wow wow so like what was that 60s these were early mid 70s Okay. 73, 74, right? These are, you know, I mean, they were, they were the CBS Sunday mystery movies. They were 90 minute movies. If you know Columbo, you know the structure. <clears throat> you could pick them apart if you wanted to. You could pick them apart because they're 40 years old. You could pick them apart because sometimes the writing ain't great. You could pick them apart because sometimes the performances are hammy as hell. But you know what? They are a delight. And more often than not, they're terrific. I love Letterkenny, right? I don't know if you've seen Letterkenny. You can I've only watch. seen like two episodes. I've yeah. really enjoyed it, though. I love it. And I think the deeper in you get it, it's terrific. The first half of this latest season was, was a disappointment. The back half was terrific. 
you know, and I can say I was disappointed by that first half, and they totally brought it back in the second. I loved it. <laughs> so, you know, I there are things I watch, I read, you know, and there are authors that I know are going to please me, and I will read them. And honestly, right now, my dirty little secret is I've been spending a fair amount of time riding around on my horse in RDR2. I've been playing a lot of Red Dead Redemption 2, so... I, I could see you. I could see you digging that game. I I dig that game so much. <laughs> no, knowing that you like Letterkenny though, um, is not quite there, but <laughs> almost to the point where the shock that I got when I found out that Werner Herzog was a huge WWF fan. There you go. <laughs> so, just you know, this guy that write that does these serious movies and you know is really into this silly thing but i i love i love knowing that yeah my wife and i just finished i don't know if you've read the books or seen uh the show it's on stars it's called dublin murders no i don't know it it's it's a detective series that was on stars that uh-huh. takes place in ireland yeah and dublin it's murders. Really I, am, I am i am i am looking right now it's worth checking out, like, as someone who does that, you know, writes crime and detective fiction, you know, as a job. I don't know if you'll get as much out of it as I did. And you you might think it's trite or whatever, but I, no, I read looks, some of the books. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it looks like a hoot. Yeah, yeah. And it's it was one of those shows we kind of had to strategically watch around the kids. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it, but, strikes me, it, it strikes me as very much for adults. Yes, yes. So, you know, if the kids were in the playroom, we could watch it. <laughs> right, right. You you will not have that issue now having no. having older children, but well, uh, and 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 they they don't have any interest in watching what I watch, so you know we're good. Oh yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So okay, I'm gonna start landing this ship because I, I don't want to take up any more of your time. Yeah, we've we've been talking for about two hours. So oh my gosh, yes, I'm so sorry. It's okay. Um, local comic shops. Yeah, where do you go? Like who, who's doing it right at least? Oh well, okay, so. Immediately local in Portland, Bridge City Comics and Cosmic Monkey are are my favorite shops, I think. And also relatively convenient to where I live, which may impact their status. Um, <laughs> but but I quite like I, I quite like the staff and I quite like this the stores. Olympic Cards and Comics in Lacey, Washington is run, run by a woman named Gabrielle Shepard who's married to Eric Troutman. And I have spent a lot of time in that shop, and I adore that shop. It is as much a comic book and game store as it is a community center. And it is such a vital place for its community. And and what Gabby does for her customers and for her kids, as she calls them, I think is just incredible. So those would be those would be my three shout outs would be Bridge City Comics, Cosmic Monkey and Olympic Cards and Comics. That's awesome. I I love what you said about Olympic being that it was a like a community center. And it it is. It is literally like walking it, walking into a community center slash comic book library games 
festival place. I, I, I don't even know how to describe it, man. <laughs> and, and that's what we need to keep around because exactly. I, I didn't have those places when I was a kid. I bought all of my comics off of a spinner rack uh-huh. uh, at the grocery store because that's the only place that had them in the town I grew up in, in Birmingham. Yeah. But now, you know, going to the comic shop, just talking to the people at the counter and seeing all the different people that come in and the different types of people that come in is really fun. Yeah. Uh, but it's also part of a huge part of the local arts community. Yeah. It's, it, it is, it is a social nexus. It is a place where you find people like you, you know, it, it, these are important places to our community. This is where we meet. This is where we convene and talk. This is where, you know, when you talk about this culture, we talk about the culture of divisiveness, right? But it is a place where <clears throat> it really doesn't matter how you vote. Everybody can, you know, you can, you, 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 we can all love Superman, right? You know what I mean? We can all think Batman's cool. It is vitally important to have those spaces, you know, not just for what I do for a living, but I think for all of us as fans. So, Greg, thank you so much for coming on to the show. I appreciate I appreciate your time. And again, it's been awesome talking to you. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure, Casey. Really glad we were able to make this happen. Dude, thank you again. And anytime you want to come on and talk or uh, if you have anything you want us to promote or anything, let us know. We'll be more than happy to do that for you. Very good. Thank you so much, man. All right. Thank you. Take it easy, brother. You too. Have a very good night. All right, same to you, and stay safe, and and you as well, you safe and healthy. <laughs> same to you, man. All right, bye. bye. We're back. <laughs> Another non-canned outro. <laughs> all on the fly, all new. <laughs> Uh, that was cool, man. You could tell they had a lot of fun together. Yeah, Greg's a cool guy. I, uh, I've met him a couple times in in, uh, in Portland and uh, talked to him about you know this is back in when he was still working on Batman and yeah, uh, you know he's he's a cool guy. He's, he was a lot of fun to talk to. Well, there you go. I have a story about Greg Record that I've told in other podcasts before, but I'm not going to say on this one because if I want you to go and find it on of our old podcast, where I tell a really funny story about Mister Rucka. So why would you do that to get people to go listen listen to old episodes? What episode? Where? It's, what podcast? So it's probably, it's somewhere in epi- between episode 120, 140. Of what podcast? Of Spoiler Country. Oh! I told oh, the story awesome. to you, you fuck. <laughs> well, that wasn't very clear. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, because I do, I do I am on a lot of podcasts, so I, I understand why you can be confused on what yeah. podcast. Every time I, I talk to Johnny, what's going on? I'm going to be on this podcast. What podcast? I don't know, they just started. How many cherries have you popped? More than I should say that out loud. Sounds disgusting. But I mean, seriously, I mean, how pod- many podcast pe- firsts have you done? Uh, a lot. Uh, it's weird. At least at least half a dozen. I know. My buddy that I've known since like seventh grade freaking calls you to be on his freaking Misery Point radio. And I'm like, wait, what? Hey, <laughs> I, I, I have more to offer. I'm sorry. You have the voice. <laughs> I have the talent. You- <laughs> <laughs> what talent? <laughs> The talent of being on podcast first, apparently. <laughs> oh, my God. That's hilarious. Yep. All right, guys. Sorry for that. <laughs> but if you liked listening to Greg Rucka and, and Casey, uh, Casey has done a ton of interviews with us and for us. And 
he has a lot of fun and you can hear him in his laid back style and a Southern drawl, which uh, kind of lulls you in and, and just kind of makes you feel a little, a little safe. In his best NPR voice. In his best NPR voice, which cracks me up every time he starts. Just so people know, that is him trying to do his best NPR voice at the beginning of every interview he does. Well, hello, everybody. This is Casey. Yeah. Welcome back to so the country. So feel free to tweet at him at Robots Eat Guitar. Robots Eat Guitar. Yep. Which or, is the weirdest Twitter handle. Or Robot Seat Guitar. Yeah. Or Robot Seat Guitar. Yeah. Whatever one you want to call it as. And uh, give him some shit for his, for his shitty NPR voice. Yeah, do it. Just do it. <laughs> Love you, Casey. But if you do love all that and you, you're having a lot of fun, go back to spoilerverse.com. Check out all we have to offer because there's a ton, ton there for you to to peruse and to download. And not just with Spoiler Country, but with Shooting the Sith, Bridging the Geekdom, Nerdtocalypse, uh, Narrative Gunslinger. Got it hey. right. Good job. Yep. And coming soon, or are they there yet? I think they're coming soon. Nerds from the Crypt. Nerds from the Crypt, they're on their way. They're halfway there. They're almost there. They're going to be putting out new episodes with us soon. And uh, we're super excited to have them on the network. Yeah. The, uh, I didn't just ruin an announcement, did I? No, you didn't. No, because we've talked about it before. It was fine. Okay, good. Just making sure. <laughs> yeah, no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> I've been ha- drinking some beer during this one. Uh, yeah, a couple. It's okay. Just a couple. One. <laughs> a couple of one. But it might turn into two. It's more than none. All That's right. right. But... I digress. Right. Not only do we have other podcasts, we have articles that are being written almost daily yeah. and press releases for all the major comic book publishers like Marvel and DC, Lions. Is it Lion Point or Lions Lion? Forge? Lion Forge. Oni Press. So much. Oni Press. Source Point Press. Uh, who else is on there, Johnny? Oh, my God. Uh, just, uh, Action Lab Studios. Um, uh, you I got, put Johnny on the spot. That's yeah. how many there is, though. Well, you've, you've already said a bunch of them. I'm like, trying to think, what, what, what have you not said? <laughs> <laughs> but, that, but that's the point, though. There's so many on there that we push out all the content. So if, you, you know, if you're a comic book nerd, it's a great place to go. You find out so much news and so much what's going on and listen to so many great interviews with like Walt and Louise Simonson. Oh, that was good. Greg Rucka that you just listened to and Ben Temple Smith, who, who was co-creator of 30 Days of Night, which is one of the greatest horror comics in the last 20 years. Easy. Right? I would agree. 100%. Yeah. And not only that, Eric Larson and, and Jerry Conway and it, the list is so much of, of greats. I can't even begin. And there's, if you're not into mainstream, the amount of independent comic books that we have pushed and given a platform to is tremendous. And you're going to find so many amazing people, amazing creators that have a real passion for what they're doing. And not only in comic books, but in movies and music and actors and directors and producers and all that kind of fun stuff. It's all right there at your fingertips. Yeah, so do all that. Go there. Go to your favorite podcatcher. Type in Spoiler Country. Hit subscribe. Hit download all episodes. And listen to every episode back to back. It's it's a good use of your time. At 360 episodes, you're looking at a good couple of days out of time. So you might, or a week, you might as well just do it. I mean, well, it's COVID. What, what else are you doing right now? But then go. As you're doing that, go to spoilerverse.com. And in that center bar at the top, click on the store link. And from there, go to Red Public Store and buy something. Buy a t-shirt. Buy a hoodie buy a mug, something. If you want to, you don't have to, but if you do, you'll help support us, you'll help keep us going, help pay our bills a little bit for the podcast that we're doing for you, totally for free, no paywall, and for fun. 
you guys go. All right, Johnny, I think we're out of here. We're out, man. All right. In Oceans of Podcast, we are Cthulhu. That's Cthulhu compels you to do. Open the mind and read more.